everyone, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Jesus Conversation Podcast. I am Brittany, and I am so glad you are tuning in to this episode. If this is your first time joining us, or you're joining us for another episode, I want to welcome you and pray these stories you're about to hear will grow you closer to Jesus and bring you encouragement. On today's episode, I will be discussing Suffering for Sanctity, where I will be sharing with you all how suffering can be a sanctifying experience in our walk with Christ and how God can sometimes call us to suffer for greater reasons unbeknownst to us. So man, it is so good to be back in studio with you guys. I know it has been like almost a month, if not over a month at this point. And, you know, that was totally not planned on our end, but we just truly started to feel like the Lord was calling us to take a bit of a rest period. So we're really excited to see just what God has coming our way. And I have been holding fast to that, and now I'm excited to be back with you. And so I just hope you know how much I appreciate our time together today. So as you guys know, I used to be a nurse, and I got to see some pretty amazing things in the operating room. You know, and on the other side of that, though, I've also seen some pretty devastating things. And I would really like to take a moment this morning to just bring you guys into the mind of my crazy nurse brain. You know, we were taught so much knowledge about the body and how it functions. And, you know, if I truly had more time to just sit down and tell you guys all the little intricate details of how God just, you know, creatively created our bodies, I truly believe nobody out there could ever question whether God existed or not. So, did you know that in the human brain, we virtually have an unlimited amount of storage space available for us to learn, store, and use? Yet, we only actually use a very small portion of our brains. It's like 10%. And over time, our brain is actually designed to forget certain things in order to make room for more. Now, there is a little bit of an unknown, and scientists are still trying to figure out how all that works together when it comes to like storing memories and how store and how memories are brought back to like the front of our minds when certain things happen. Um, but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. Now, we know from research that our brains carry something called neurons. And we have about 86 billion neurons in our brain. And essentially what a neuron's job is, is to connect itself to other neurons. And that will make a new connection over time. That essentially means for us that our brains over time have taught itself how to rethink the way that we handle situations and issues. Now, what's interesting is that when you get to study the human brain, you learn that the brain has something called the negative feedback loop system. Essentially how that works is like whenever there is a difference between what a person hoped or saw happening in the future and that outcome didn't happen, then the brain has this crazy urge to correct the situation. So that means that anytime that we are seeing something or negatively hearing something or feeling something, we will constantly replay that in our brains over and over and over again. And this can attribute to how we react to other situations in the future. Now, what's crazy is this all happens naturally and instinctively. Thus, I think we often find ourselves trying to overcompensate and correct that negative feeling that we're feeling. Now, what I think is even crazier is that our brains do this thing called negative bias. Let me give you an example before I fully explain the medical version of this. So let's say you wake up, get a great sleep, you know, you're listening to music as you're getting ready for work and, you know, eat a good breakfast, get your Bible time in, start heading to work and you go, you know what? 
I left the house early. I'm going to stop and get my favorite coffee. You know, they just make my day. You stop, you pull up, order that coffee, start driving away. And would you not know it, they have messed up your coffee. And you have to deal with this now unsatisfactory coffee. Like, first world experience, right? It's a definitely first world problem. Well, the rest of the day, despite all the many blessings you've already experienced and will experience, you are so hyper-focused on that coffee issue. And the negative thoughts of that encounter just keep coming to the front of your mind over and over and over again. This is negative bias. Now, I feel like such a nerd, like kind of geeking out on all this nurse stuff with you today. But this stuff is so fascinating to me. And I hope at the end of this episode, you will see how this is important to note as we talk about suffering in our walk with Christ. Now, I have a few points in this episode, and I would like for you to go ahead and get ready to write them down. So before we really start to dig in, I greatly encourage you to grab your Bible and something to write on. Now, I just want to stop, guys, um, before we go any further in this episode, and I really just want to take a moment and do something I haven't done before, and I just want to take a second to pray. Um, I really just want to take a moment and just say, you know, Lord, we ask you to join us in this moment. Um, I ask you, Lord, Father, to just please come into this episode today and just really resonate for all who's listening. Father, we pray that you will help restore the thoughts of your love and strengthen and provide encouragement to the one listening today. And I ask you, Father, that if they are currently under that suffering spirit, that we are asking for you, Lord, to break those chains today. And while I'm here, Lord, I just want to lift up um, your people of Israel as they are dealing with all the trauma and all the all the fighting and all the bombing this morning, Father. Um, we know, Lord, that these are your people. And in Proverbs, you call us to pray for them. And in Psalms, you call us to pray for them. And so, Lord, I'm just lifting up Israel this morning um, as we go into our episode today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. So while you are grabbing those few things, I'm going to take a moment to update you guys on our house stuff with our family. I know it's been a few episodes since we talked about it. So last we heard from y'all guys, we went, uh, you know, we went to Odessa and we were moving forward and trying to find a house. Um, we were confident that the Lord was going to be selling our house in the meantime. And so we didn't want to do anything on our end to prevent us from uh, moving forward. So we found a house and we have been praying that the Lord would give us a sign. And I know there's a little bit of controversy about that. You know, sometimes we hear in the Bible, like we shouldn't be asking for signs, but at the same time, the Lord has provided signs for those who have asked. Now, I think I would do want to say this up front. Um, I feel like as you get farther along in your walk with Christ, um, we should probably be asking less and less of that. Personally, that's my opinion. Um, because you learn to rely on God, even without signs, you learn to trust God and his character. Um, but I think at certain points in time, it's okay to say, Lord, like I am struggling here. Can you please just encourage me or bring someone to show me this or, you know, one way or the other. And so we had prayed that I would see those heart rocks that I always talk about. And so we went into this one home and what was funny about it is we only had like 15 minutes to run through it because we were in the middle of, you know, a whole slew of houses to see. And the very last room of this house had all of these heart rocks sitting up on the mantle. And so we were like, this is it. This is the house the Lord has for us. Um, they actually had a room, too, that was completely soundproof, which was wonderful for us because we know that we're going to be doing the podcast when we move. And so we're like, this has to be the right house for us. So we put in an offer. It was accepted. 
and we just knew God was going to bring us a buyer. Now, this is where the tables turned on us. Um, About three, four days later, we had the house inspection come back, and it was like page after page after page of just like water issues, electric issues, you know, foundation issues. There was leaking from the roof, just all these other little things. And despite, you know, our realtor being like, it's not so bad, I've seen worse, you know, we reached out to um, those that we truly trusted, you know, we uh, reached out to um, three family members who have, you know, knowledge in these departments, and every single one of them said, it's just too much, it's just too much. And so um, we politely pulled out away from that house, and I'll be honest with you guys, we struggled with that for a long time because we weren't sure we took enough time to really give that to God, and I tell you that uh, openly um, so that I encourage you guys, if you're ever faced in that decision, to just take the time to really pray about that more, um, but from everything from the earthly perspective, it just didn't look good. You know, we had three people who are highly versed in this type of stuff, and each one of them said no, like it's not the right one. So um, we went about a week where I was just like really mourning this house because I was like, God, you gave us this house. And did I make a mistake, Um, you know, pulling away from it? And what I love about God is that, you know, God never wakes up and says, dang, like she truly messed this whole thing up. Um, But, you know, I went to God and I told him how I was feeling. I told him I wasn't feeling like I really took the time. And if that was something that he was going to get us through, I apologize to him for allowing outside forces to really negate what we were going to do. And that morning I was praying to him and he reminded me of Romans 8, 28. And it says, for we know that God makes all things work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I was just like, all right, Lord, you know, I might never know if that was the right decision or not, but I'm trusting you and I'm moving forward and we're just going to leave that by the wayside because it's over and done with. And, you know, all I can do is just keep walking. And now I know for the future that I will take more time. And, you know, God might have come back and said, Brittany, this still isn't the house for you. And that would have been good too. So um, we're just going to continue to trust God every bit of the way. But since then, since that it all happened, we actually woke up uh, probably day four after all that had taken place. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm ready for a realtor. And I really did take my time in that decision. Um, and I truly felt that was the right decision. And so then we got a realtor. We started having showings, but just no buyers. We had about three different instances where people came in and said they were going to get the house. And then one thing or another, and they just kind of backed out. But what was really hard is we never got any feedback that was like negative. You know, everybody was saying, oh, we love the house. So we love the neighborhood. You know, it's in the country. Like we actually had nothing that would back up the, the thought of, um, people not wanting the house. And so um, that went on for a while. And in the middle of all of that happening, we were hit with something else. So I've talked about my family uh, off and on in here. I've been very open with you guys about it. Um, One thing I have not talked to you guys about is another portion of my family. Um, So I've talked about my father in the past. Um, and now I'm going to talk about my other father. So I have a stepdad and a dad. I'm purposely not telling you which one I'm speaking about just to keep privacy. Um, but my dad has been, um, in jail, so to speak for almost two years. And this particular dad, um, was going to go to court. And so me and my husband actually got subpoenaed to go to court on his behalf, um, Actually, I should take that back. It wasn't technically on his behalf. It was by the state. So it was actually to go against him. 
And of course, you can't really get out of a subpoena. But we, you know, we had to go to court during all the middle of this. And I remember the morning we had to go, and it was a week long. We had to go every day for a week long, about an hour away from here, and uh, sit in court. And when it came time for the day that we were supposed to be subpoenaed, um, his lawyer came over to me and he said, listen, the state has decided not to call you and your husband to the stand. But if you want to go on behalf of your father, um, I will allow you that right. And so, you know, even though I was deathly afraid of going on the stand and I had been praying and praying and praying for courage, um, in fact, I kept rehearsing that Bible verse talking about, um, you know, don't be afraid when you stand before the courts for I will give you the words to speak. And I kept repeating that in my head constantly. And so I said, okay, I think I'm ready to go. Well, literally seven minutes, I'll never forget this, seven minutes before I was supposed to go up, his lawyer pulled me aside and he said, listen, um, because you're his daughter, they are going to have to bring a lawyer downstairs to basically um, read you your rights. And I don't know if you want to go through with all of that. They just don't want you to condemn yourself on the stand. Da, 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 da. You let me know what you want to do. And so I said, I need a moment to pray. My husband was upstairs with our kids watching them um, in the courthouse. So I took a moment. I prayed. I called up to my husband. I said, what do you want to do? What do you think? He said, why don't you pray about it again? He's like, I can't make that decision. He's like, you do what you feel like God tells you to do. And I said, okay. So I hung up the phone and I got back there and I was just praying. I was like, Lord, is this you giving me a way out? Or is this just a test to keep pushing forward? Because I will do either one. I just need to know what you want me to do. And funny enough, my mother that morning had sent me Psalms 91. And it was verse 14 and 15 from that Psalm that in that moment rang in my head. And that verse says, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust my name. And when they call on me, I will answer and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. And in that moment, I truly just felt in my heart that God was saying, this is not for you, Brittany. Like, just, just sit still. Like, you don't have to do this. This is me giving you an out. And so um, we went through the rest of the trial. And at the end of the trial, um, my father was sentenced to 50 years. And he just turned 60 a couple of weeks ago. So it's been very hard. Um, you know, I'm praying for his appeal process. And um, I can tell you, though, that since that court date, a lot of his other stuff has been dropped. And they are optimistic about him getting that appeal. And so um, right now it just looks like a three to four year waiting process for that appeal to go through. But anyway, all that took place in the middle of switching over to a realtor. And as of two weeks ago, um, we shifted gears again. So last bit of our little story with the house. Um, my mother, funny enough, kept mentioning to me that she thought we should rent our house out. And my husband and me are both really timid about it. We're like, I don't know if we're like the renting people, if we want to be landlords, like we've never done that. And we hear horror stories, right? Um, but I do know that, you know, being in real estate also has its great benefits. So, you know, we've been praying about it and literally within a week's time span, three separate people called me on the phone and they're like, I feel like you need to rent your house. And I'm like, okay, Lord, normally when you show things in threes, it's a promise. And so I just came back to him and I'm like, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? And then finally, I reached out to a, a lady in our church, Miss um, Shirley McLeod, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. Um, but she, you know, I, I talked to her and she's kind of my little spiritual mentor. She's older than me and I really just look up to her um, and a lot of things of her life. And I called her up and I said, Shirley, like, I've been feeling like I need to rent 
our house. Like, can you be praying for that? And she said, your jaw is going to hit the floor, Brittany. And I was like, what? She said, I was in prayer yesterday for you and Garrison. And she said, I literally had this thought come to mind that you're fixing to rent your house out. And I was like, really? And she said, well, you know how it is. She said, you need to take it to God. She's like, but that really came to my mind yesterday out of the blue. And so sure enough, um, we have decided to rent our house out. And then as soon as we did that, uh, within about four days, we had our house under contract. <laughs> so um, we are moving to Odessa, guys. It's officially happening. We plan to move out there October 26th. So things might be a little different with the podcast for a little while. Um, but we are excited to meet you guys out there and um, continue to pick up from there. Um, so anyway, let me just start out today. And I want to ask you guys a couple of questions. And I hope you're very honest with yourself because when you hear it, they're going to be pretty hard. Number one, do you believe that suffering can have a purpose? And number two, how well do you suffer? Like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you think you can handle it the best of anybody you know. Now, I bet you're kind of saying to yourself, Britt, that's a really loaded question. Like, nobody suffers well. But I hope by the end of this episode, I can show you that it is possible as a child of God to be faced with the most discouraging, debilitating, unnerving news of your life and still learn to suffer with grace and humility. Which brings me to my point number one. Be open and honest about your suffering. So one thing the Lord has taught me in this season is that suffering shouldn't be done behind closed doors. You know, I often found myself as a young girl um, being told things like, don't cry. It makes you look weak or dry it up, suck it up. You know, maybe you remember those commercials. Um, Have you ever seen those Pertz Plus shampoo commercials? And please don't make fun of my age here. But they had a commercial like where this little girl would come out and she would get shampoo in her eyes and they'd be like, it doesn't cause tears. And, you know, that was a slogan, so it had to be right, right? Uh, no. And the jingle was like, big girls don't cry. Okay, anyway, so you guys get the gist. Um, side note here, um, me and my cousin Toby tried this out once, and it is a lie. That soap will burn the crap out of your eyes. Don't do it. <laughs> but, you know, I was brought up around things showing me that, that it was strength. And that's what strength was supposed to look like, to just not show that or to not cry. And, you know, essentially, I bottled up all of my feelings of sadness and suffering growing up. And, you know, I was actually training myself to do that. And now, as an adult, I was more prone to not share my feelings or even show my true feelings to anyone. And, you know, I found out myself as an adult, like kind of brushing off the big matters as if they weren't big and pretending things didn't bother me when they did. And instead of working through those feelings or expressing them in a healthy way, they often turn to anger. And I often push them away because it was easier to get rid of them than be disappointed or upset. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> so now I ask you, like, how can we combat those feelings, especially if you've been in a cycle your whole life? Well, let me encourage you with some words from the Lord. James 5, 16 tells us, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. So honestly, the first step for me to break this cycle started with me breaking my pride. 
I had to confess not only to myself, but to God, that I knew I wanted to change the way I dealt with grief and suffering. Which eventually, he led me to confess this to other believers too, and even seek counseling. I knew I had to relearn the way I thought about suffering, and the best way I need to do that was to first seek examples in the Bible of those who had suffered, and then saw how they sought help. And from what I've learned, there are really two different types of people in the Bible who suffered. The first type of people are those who suffer because they brought it upon themselves. Some examples of this include people like Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah, right? Jonah ran the opposite way from God when he told him to go and speak to the people of Nevaeh. And Jonah was very bitter. He was like, the people of Nevaeh are crude and they're sinful and like, just let them deal with their own issues because they brought that upon themselves. And as we know, you know, Jonah in his running away ends up in the belly of a great big fish. Or as when I was taught, he ended up in a whale. And there, it was there that he repented and he remained for three days. Now we know the Lord forgave him and gave him a chance to redeem himself. But it was after this period of self-induced suffering. Jonah 2.1 says, When Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish, he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. Another example that we see of this type of suffering in the Bible is Haman. And this is found in the book of Esther. So you guys might remember Haman. Haman was the appointed official during the reign of King Xerxes. And we know from the book of Esther that she becomes uh, the queen and King Xerxes' second wife. Now, Haman is the type of guy that was only out for his own benefit. And through a series of deceitful acts, he actually is later impaled on the very pole that he created to impale Mordecai. Hence, he brought on his own suffering. Esther 7.9 says, So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Another type of this type of self-induced suffering is also in Daniel. Daniel 6.4 Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. So if you remember in Daniel, they did a 30-day period where nobody was allowed to pray to any other god, and they were only allowed to pray to the king. Well, all these administrators, you know, had for a while now, been trying to find something wrong with Daniel, and they couldn't find anything wrong. So what they did is they literally would follow him place to place. And Daniel, like clockwork, would every day turn his window, open his window up to the main part of the city, and he would pray to God. And when they caught him, they had to take him to the king and say, hey, your servant Daniel is not following the law. And so because of that, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Now we know after that happened, the king at the time was greatly troubled. It said that he didn't take any food that night, he didn't take any entertainment, and that he was up all night battling with the fact that he had to throw his servant, Daniel, into the lion's den. And I remember from scripture, it says he woke up early in the morning and ran out to where the lion's den was, and he's like, Daniel, Daniel, has your king saved you? And Daniel, you know, replies that his God had shut the mouths of the lions and saved him. And so then the king announces that everybody will follow the king of Daniel. But this is where we see those administrators get what's coming to them. Daniel 6.24 says, 
Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had thrown them into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leapt on them and tore them apart even before they hit the floor. Talk about self-induced suffering. So what is the other type of suffering that we normally see? I often see suffering that we don't bring on ourselves. And probably the greatest example of this that we see is in the book of Job. Um, if you guys remember, Job was a man of God. Uh, Job opens up and it talks about an eyewitness view of God and Satan talking to each other. And God asks Satan, he goes, what are you doing? And Satan's like, I've been going from north to south to east to west of the earth, um, trying to find, you know, evil in the world, trying to find somebody who doesn't proclaim God. And God kind of brings up Job to him. He's like, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He's a man of God. He's righteous in everything he does. And there's no fault to him. And Satan's like, well, yeah, of course, because you've given him everything. You've never had anything bad happen to him. And so God's like, okay, well, here's the deal. You can do what you need to do to Job, but you cannot kill him. And so Satan goes, okay, good. And when he curses you and wants to die, don't blame me. So anyway, this is what happens. And as we see through the book of Job, like Job suffers incredibly. He loses his whole family minus his wife. His wife curses at him to, to basically say goodbye, God. Like, you know, she basically says curse God and die. Um, you know, Job loses all of his wealth. He loses his body and the fact that he gets boils and, and all this thing, up, um, all these um, whelps and stuff all over him. And even his friends are like, what did you do to make God so mad at you? And uh, I remember when Job was talking to his wife, he's like, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never accept anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. And what I find interesting about that whole chapter of Job is that the Lord allowed affliction. You know, Ronnie Hill that we had here on episode five, I believe, um, actually preached about suffering not long ago. And he said something I want to bring up. He said, um, trials are appointed. And we have to believe this because if you don't believe trials are appointed, you have to believe in one of three things. One, you have to believe that trials and tribulations are just fate or some sort of weird chance. Two, you trust in yourself more then you trust in Christ. Or three, you do believe and trust in Jesus, even if he is the one appointing tribulations. Now, just know any affliction of a believer has to be permitted by Christ. But we have hope because 2 Corinthians 10, 13 states, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. 1 Peter 6, 7 also says this. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as the fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And what I thought was interesting about that particular passage is the word fire here in Greek is purosis and testing is periosmo. 
which literally translates as a testing sent only by God to prove one's character and find him or her faithful. Lastly, I want us to kind of look at Psalm 66, 8 through 12. It says, let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praises. Our lives are in his hands and he keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. You have captured us in your net and laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. So it just goes to show you guys that over time, the Lord has allowed certain afflictions to hit more than one person over time. Now, I don't know if you guys know much about metals. I thought this was super interesting. But a fun fact about precious metals and how they are made is, you know, a silversmith um, is the person who creates these precious metals. And when silver, for instance, is heated, the impurities in metal will actually float to the top. And this process is repeated over and over and over again. And as these impurities are coming to the top of metal, the uh, silversmith will actually like skim them away. Now, this silversmith knows this process is complete when he can lean over and look in the metal and he sees a perfect reflection of himself. The maker of this metal knows the exact temperature to keep this metal heated for long enough so that it doesn't burn and it comes out lacking absolutely nothing. So God can allow affliction but I believe it's so God can also accomplish a greater purpose in our lives. Job 42.12 says, So the Lord blessed the second half of Job's life even more than the beginning. Now, we know that Job did get a second portion in his life. After the Lord did send all the afflictions, he did send him a double portion. Now, and it wasn't just so Job could have more stuff, right? But it was for us to be able to look back at the impact and how his example has changed generation after generation. Now, another form of suffering that we see of this type, we also saw in every single one of Jesus's disciples. I mean, we saw Paul in prison. We've seen James beheaded. Every single one of Jesus's disciples have suffered. I love the way that Warren Wearsby kind of tied that together. He says, the highest service you and I can render on earth is to bring glory to God. And sometimes that service involves suffering. So our sufferings are actually a testament to others. It's meant to guide and encourage other believers. Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 states, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And guys, I think the ultimate example of this type of suffering obviously comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. In Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians Paul uses five out of the 10 basic words in Greek for the word suffering. But the most used word, philipsis, um, which means like a narrowed or confined under pressure, 
In English, we might translate that word to like affliction. Um, but in the second half, in the second word that Paul uses in his letters, the word to describe suffering is pathema. And this word is only used to describe the suffering of Christ. So why do I find that important? I think it's worth noting that even in Greek language, there is a difference to the suffering of believers as they aim to serve the body of Christ and the actual suffering that Christ himself endured on our behalf. Although our suffering is just and looked favorably upon, we are a reflection of the Lord's suffering, but we are actually never able to endure the same suffering as he did. For the more that we suffer, we suffer as a reflection. 2 Corinthians 1.5 For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Peter 2.21 For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow his steps. And finally, Philippians 3.10 I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I think it's fair to say that with increased suffering comes increased grace from God. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 states, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And 1 Peter 5.10, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. I think the times we honestly need grace the most would be the times of suffering. And I'm not just saying grace from God, but grace for yourself. You know, some of my hardest battles as, as a Christian have been internal. You know, I'll admit, I can ask for forgiveness all day long for mundane things I do on occasion that are considered sinful. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> It's that deeply rooted issue, you know, I've suffered with for years that I tend to repent over and over again. And sometimes I dwell on it because I haven't been able to get past it. And because of that, I have a lack of forgiving myself because I've done it over and over and over again. And I want to encourage you guys, like the Lord has already redeemed you and me for every wrong. And if you're anything like me, like when I continue to do something over and over again, I became so disappointed in myself. And I'm more disappointed in myself than I am about the act that I did. And the forgiveness that I'm lacking, bottom line, is the forgiveness of self. And I obviously had it now more than I'm a believer than I ever did before I was saved because I didn't realize what I was doing was wrong. But man... <laughs> Thank God for mercy and grace, right? You know, times when I'm upset with myself, I have to remind myself, I am human. I'm in a fallen world. And if I'm going to be a reflection of God, I need to also reflect his mercy and grace on myself. And, you know, I'm comforted to know that I am not the only one who suffers with this. Because multiple times in scripture, you know, we see Peter falling short and being super hard on himself too. And now don't get me wrong. This is not an excuse to do wrong, guys. Let's make that straight. But it does give us some grace to grow. You know, feelings of this nature 
can only start to turn around when we start to turn to God for his thoughts and his actions on the matter. You know, Romans 5.15 encourages me because it states, But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So if our focus is not on God and on his grace and on his mercy in times of suffering, but on our own self-pity, I've found that it's often created isolation instead of involvement for the body of Christ. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. That's 2 Corinthians 1.3. You know, a good example I like to refer to to see God's grace in trials and sufferings is with Paul. You know, as we know from Scripture, Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh that he asked the Lord to remove three times from him. And we know, you know, we don't actually know what the thorn was. I mean, many scholars have had their own thoughts about this, but we know that this thorn caused him discomfort and suffering. In 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10, he said, If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it, because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, So to keep me from being proud, I have been given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and give to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think for a long time I got it mixed up. I got what grace was and mercy was mixed up. Grace is God's provision for every need when we need it. And it gives us what we do not deserve. But in mercy, he does not give us what we do deserve. In other words, like death from our sins. We didn't deserve that, but he still gave it to us anyway. Warren Worsby says this, he says, strength that knows itself to be strength is actually weakness, but weakness that knows itself to be weakness is actually strength. Paul knew the power of God, and because he trusted the will of God, he could depend on the grace of God. You know, I've seen this time and time again, and I'm walking through this right now with some people in our church. But sometimes God will not remove our afflictions or sufferings. But through his grace, he allows those afflictions and sufferings to work for us and not against us. I think it's safe to say that anybody can grit and bear it, you know, just to get through something. And yeah, even that takes courage, right? But suffering should help enable us to rise above those afflictions and the feelings that are associated with them. Suffering in the name of Christ should accomplish a positive in our lives and the lives of those around us. Suffering shouldn't make us feel like we're drowning, but help us in a way similar to like the way a servant helps their master. It's to accomplish a greater good. 
I would even say that sometimes our afflictions and sufferings, you know, are permanent. Whether physical in nature or emotional, you know, but when we start to accept those afflictions for what they are and know that it might not go away, then you can take pleasure in glorifying God through that suffering. Knowing you're glorifying God by accepting and handling all of the difficult situations with grace, you are reflecting the same grace that Christ is showing you. You know, P.T. Taurus once said, it is a greater thing to pray for pain's conversion than its removal. Warren Worsby also says this, I wanted to share, he said, it's better to be spiritually healed and our character more developed to look like Christ than be physically full of sound body. God balances burdens, blessings, and sufferings and glory. Individually, these things can hurt you, but when blending at just the right amount, they can help us. I guess it's safe to say it's easier to grow in knowledge than in grace. You know, God has work he wants to do in each of us, but before he can do that, he needs to work through us. We can learn God's truths all day, and until we start building it into our character, it's just going to be part of the suffering process. Honestly, when I look back at the Bible, I feel like some of the Bible's greatest encouragers often suffered in preparation to get ready to do something big for God. You know, I've seen a lot this season is that Patience through difficult trials often create spiritual maturity. And I've seen that intertwine this, this, this season, just like spiritual maturity with patient endurance. Like you could use either one of those. In fact, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, it states, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life and faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that is so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't be become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Now, I want to leave this first point by saying, you just never know who is watching you in this season. You know, whether it's your kids, friends, acquaintances, people in your church, who will you impact through your story of suffering? And how can he use you to be an encouragement to others? Which brings me to my second point, and I promise I'll keep these next ones very short. Point number two, petition to yourself, excuse me, petition for yourself, and ask others to petition for you too. And you know, I didn't really know what the word petition meant <laughs> until I saw this verse not long ago. And I want to uh, look it up and see what it meant, and this is what it said. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. That's Philippians 4, 6. Now, to petition actually means to make or present a formal request to an authority with respect to a particular cause. So, you know, the morning that I was um, doing this, I was praying and felt the Lord ask me to petition on our behalf 
So what I mean by that is back when we were looking into the house stuff and we had switched over to renting, I came to Facebook, actually, um, after I'd been praying this through. And I went on there and I said, you know, I feel like the Lord is asking for us to petition for our family. And honestly, right now, I'm just needing clarity from God. Like, are me and the kids even supposed to be moving to Odessa? Because um, I had never thought of that. You know, I thought, oh, I'm married to my husband. Of course, God's not going to keep us apart. But I had never taken the time to truly ask the Lord, hey, maybe this is a season for Garrison to be there by himself. And it's a growing season of me here. And maybe God needs me here more than he needs me there. And so that's what I did is I went on Facebook and I truly said, hey, guys, please go into prayer and petition for our family so that we can have a clear answer for this. And um, shortly after that, we you know switched over to the rental and then obviously we're heading out. So um, it's important to ask for petitioning for yourself and ask others to join you in that. And, you know, we see this in the Bible, too. You know, Paul believed in prayer and the prayer of others. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself will intercede for us through wordless groans. So in other words, you know, even if I don't have the words to ask God for what I want or what I need, I can literally come to him and say, Lord, I don't have the words. (laughs) I don't even know what to pray for. But you know my heart and you know what I need. And, you know, you know how to comfort me, Lord, in a way that I don't know how to right now. I don't know where to find comfort other than in you. And I don't want to find comfort in anything else but you. And I love that, that even the times that we don't even have the words to speak over ourselves or even for someone else, that he is there and able to do it for us. Second Corinthians 1, 4b says, He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. So when they are troubled, they will be able to give them the same comfort God has given you. And in Romans 15, 30, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us so that the word of the Lord may spread speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith so praying on behalf of yourself and then asking others to petition for you matters prayers truly are powerful which brings me to point number three be watchful for the lord and have a group to confide in so during this season of, you know, our house stuff, um, I have had to come to the Lord and say, you know, I've been in his word daily. I've, you know, asked for prayers from friends and family. I've been involved in a small group. And I'm not saying these things to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you the truth of how I've had to become rooted in these things in order to truly hear from the Lord in different ways. Um, and I can tell you guys, there have been weeks where I literally just said, Lord, I need encouragement. And I will have somebody out of the blue send me a Facebook message. Somebody out of the blue would send me an email. Somebody out of the blue would send me a text message. I'd be on TikTok and I feel like whatever the message was from that pastor in that 15 second clip spoke to me. And I don't believe any of that's coincidence. I truly believe that was ordained and done ahead of time um, by God. And, 
you know, people often wonder, like, especially small groups. I'm going to harp on people who aren't in a small group right now. People are often like, do I need to really be in a small group? And I'm going to encourage you guys to do it because everybody needs others. That's a big thing our church harps on is that they want you to be plugged in, not only by yourself, where it is important that you are spending one-on-one time with God, but you need to be with other people to learn from. The way that you learn from something might be different than the way they learn from something, but at all times you are getting to hear and see different ways of learning, different ways that scripture is being read to you or taught to you. I can't tell you how many times going to small group on Tuesday, even though for me it's a good 45 minute drive, has encouraged me at just the right time. Because even the days where I don't speak up in small group, um, I get to hear somebody else's testimony or get to hear somebody else's um, opinion on that scripture. And I'm like, wow, I never looked at it like that. And it makes me really think about it and take it back to God and be like, God, I never thought about this. Like, it's kind of bothering me or wow, Lord, that's really cool. I never see, I've never seen it this way. And, um, I encourage you in that too, because having a small group has been a huge blessing for us. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure I was going to talk about this, but I think I'm going to now. Um, one of the really neat things that the Lord allowed to happen this season for us was one day I was sitting on the couch and I got a text message and um, I've been very open and honest with our small group. Let me just say that. And one thing that I was very open to them about was I wanted prayer because my husband has a work vehicle and he was only allowed to go from his job to the man camp, which he's staying at. So he's not been able to go to church. He has not been able to buy his own groceries, which they feed him at the man camp, but like toiletries and stuff, we've been having to order on Amazon and have them delivered to his office. And so I was just praying in that because being away from a church family, especially when you've been rooted for like seven plus years is hard and he's having to watch everything online, which is good. But again, he's missing that one-on-one camaraderie, you know? And a couple of days later, I get a text message from uh, one of our small group leaders and she said, Hey, I need your Venmo. And I was like, why? And she said, well, She said, we, you know, the Lord just spoke to a few of our members in our small group and we took up a love offering for you guys because we know it's expensive to go back and forth to Odessa. We know it's hard to rent a car out there because of the um, amount of people out there. It's a very high oil field, you know, community. And a lot of rental cars are either gone or they just don't have a lot out there. And so for us financially, it has been a bit of a burden to go back and forth. And she said, we took up a love offering and I would like to send it to you. And of course I fought her on it because I was like, that's so silly. Like, you know, as much as I, not silly in a bad way, but just like, there are people out there who deserve that so much more than we do, you know? And she's like, Brittany, I'm not going to argue with you. She's like, the Lord put it on our heart and you don't want to make him, you know, this is from him. So just take it. And I was like, okay, okay. I'm not on you. Um, and y'all, it was like, I'll be honest. It was $850 that they sent us. And I remember sitting on the couch and I just like, lost it. And I don't tell you to be a part of a small group financial for financial reasons. Please don't take this the wrong way. I'm just saying that like they were there for me in a way and, and went to God in a way that I couldn't go to God myself. You know, I could have, but I just, it's different. You know, it's different when other people petition for you. It's different when other people are praying for you. And That money has been such a blessing to us because it has allowed us to have him get rental cars to come here. You know, it's allowed us to get hotel rooms to go there. It's allowed us to have dinner as a family and not worry about it. And um, 
I tell you that too because I remember thinking in that moment I wanted to go to my bedroom and not let my son see me cry like that. And I distinctly heard God say, let him see. And in that moment, I was able to teach my son, you know, God gives, baby. And um, like our small group did this because, you know, we're a community. And, you know, he learned in that moment that valuable lesson that we all need others. And um, again, I hope you guys don't look at it from a financial standpoint. I mean, that part was a blessing. But just the fact that they, you know, went to God with that and came back was just, that meant so much to us. And we were so humbled by that moment. And, you know, I want to look at something real quick, too. You know, we see something very similar to this in the Bible. In fact, um, do y'all remember the story of the lame man who was brought in through the roof by his friends because they couldn't get close enough to Jesus? Well, if you look at Luke 5, 18 through 20, it states, Some men took a man who was not able to move his body to Jesus. He was carried on a bed. They looked for a way to make the man into the house where Jesus was, but they could not find a way to take him in because there were so many people. They made a hole in the roof over where Jesus stood. Then they let the bed in with the stick, excuse me, in with the sick man on down through before Jesus. Now, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. So because of his friend's faith to get that man closer to Jesus, that man was saved. It's important who is in your circle of people. Now we're going to go to our number four on our um, top five things here. So number four is stop the loop. At the beginning of this episode, we talked about the negative feedback loop or negative thought pattern loop, if you want to look at it like that. And I've been in this season long enough to be able to feel when my thoughts start to become anxious or just like not at ease, like I'm not feeling a whole lot of that peace of Christ that we hear about in Philippians 4, 7. But I have also learned that the Bible teaches us that we are able to capture those thoughts and make them our own. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about by capturing that thought, there have been times when I have become anxious about things. You know, just as of yesterday, I was anxious about something. And I literally said, Lord, I don't know how to handle this thought. I don't know how to handle why I'm anxious about this. So I'm going to give it to you right now. And I trust it in your hands. You know, thank you, Father. Amen. And I do that. And then I try to walk away from that. Now, has that always been easy and always been that clear cut? No way. This whole season, literally the last couple of months, there have been 10, 15, 20 times a day I've had to do that. Because I'll be like, okay, Lord, here you go. Put in his hands, walk away. And then I'm like peeking behind the door frame like, hey, you still got that? Okay, I'll come back later. And then wait a little while. I'm like, hey. You got that right. Just, just, okay, good. You're, okay, good. I'll, just, I'll go over here then. Yeah, I've done that multiple times this season. But I encourage you, if you start to feel anxious or angry or just sad, depressed, take a moment and say, God, I feel X, Y, Z. I don't know how to handle X, Y, Z. And then give it to him and try to walk away. If you have to pick it up and give it to him 50 times today, that has been the easiest thing 
for me to try to capture my thoughts and give it back to God. And now after three months, I can tell you it gets easier, but I can start to feel myself when I'm becoming anxious because that was my thing. I was becoming anxious. And lastly, our five, our last point of the day is to number five, serve. So I told you guys earlier in the episode how my dad was sentenced um, to 50 years. But what I didn't tell you is that his sentencing came on a Friday. And just, you know, two days later on a Sunday, I was at church and I was helping them baptize people in all three services. Again, I'm not telling you that to pat myself on the back, but I had a girlfriend of mine um, from our small group come up to me. I remember she was, was in between second and third service. And she's like, hey, hey, I just uh, wanted to hear how everything went with your dad. And guys, I just started crying. <laughs> I just, I said it, I told her how it was. And I said, it was like essentially like a death sentence. And um, I really didn't know how to handle it, but I was here and I was just wanting to be here for God's people. And by the end of third service of baptizing all these people, one right after the other, I was allowed to give these people my service and not be focused in on my suffering. And I think when we take that time and we place others above ourselves, things like our suffering just come second best. Now heed me when I say this, okay? It's okay to become busy helping, but you additionally need to take some quiet time for you and the Lord. You know, take that time that you might need in a small group setting or counseling setting you know, to yourself to deal with your needs. But I first encourage you to give it to God and allow him to help you walk, you know, and whatever means that is. But as you're doing that for yourself, I also encourage you to start serving for others. Because remember, not everyone's suffering is the same and not everyone also heals the same either. So how does suffering lead to sanctification? You know, sanctification, I didn't even really understand what that word meant, but when the Lord gave it to me, I wanted to go look it up. And sanctification, by definition, actually means a holiness of life and character or godliness, the, the quality or state of being holy or sacred, inviolability. Now, I was like, huh? I don't know what inviolability means, so I had to go look that up. And this is where it gets really cool, because God is just amazing in how he does things. Invulnerability means the fact of quality of being safe or protected from attack, infringement, or destruction. I don't know about you, but that gave me chills. To be protected against attacks. Essentially saying immune from attacks. So when you're sanctified, it allows us to be immune from the attacks of our enemy. And the way we can, bit by bit, day by day, build up a wall of defense to withstand those daily attacks is no none other than through our own sufferings. It's funny how the Lord can take something that wouldn't make sense and make perfect sense of it. In fact, you know, our very bodies that God made for me and you do this naturally. You've heard of your immune system, right? It does this very thing. The body will inherit a foreign entity like a virus. Well, viruses by nature can't live without a host. So they will invade a, a cell of the body. It will copy itself multiple times within that cell 
to the point where that cell will burst. And then it moves on to the next thing and does the whole thing over and over and over again. That's how viruses usually invade the body so quickly. Now, God created these things in our bodies called white blood cells. And that basically is our fighting system. They fight off the foreign bodies. And they create something called antibodies that are specifically made to destroy viruses or any kind of foreign thing that come in the body. The body, because of the way God made us, is so smart that it then uses these antibodies to remember the virus for the next go-around. And either the virus becomes a lesser version the second time around, or you don't even know you were sick because the body's defense system is at work. But in order to become immune, you had to be attacked first. So, let me just start to wrap up our episode. I wanted to tell you guys this last little story I heard once where this is a true story. This woman decided to take her three children um, to a place where you could see waterfalls. And, you know, she's by herself, so she's got the three kids. And um, she decided to go up not a very steep waterfall, kind of on the smaller end. And as she's walking up, um, she has three children under the age of six. Well, the middle daughter slips and falls and plummets down below into the waterfall. So mama's then faced with a decision. She's got baby on one hand and she's got the oldest on the other. So she quickly turns to the oldest and she says, listen, whole baby, I've got to jump in and get, you know, the sister. So mom jumps in. Well, before oldest can really, you know, comprehend what's going on, baby thinks this is a game and jumps in as well. So then the oldest is like, crap, I've got to go in and help them. So then the oldest jumps in. Well, come to find out, none of the babies have been in swim lessons. None of them can swim. So mom is sitting there struggling to figure out who is she going to go help first. So she ends up grabbing baby and the middle daughter, and she rushes them to shore. And she, in her story, was telling that she was just praying to God as she was with her back turned to her oldest. She was praying to God as she was getting in the middle and the youngest to the shore. And she said when she turned around, the only thing she could see of her oldest daughter was her little nose just peeking up out of the water. And she was just paddling as fast as she could. So mom was able to get all three babies safely to shore. And that night she was laying in bed and, you know, she was just wrestling with God about that. And she was like, God, like, what an awful day. She's like, how could you have me choose who to save? She's like, that is so unfair. And she said, um, in a very still, small voice, she heard God reply to her. And he said, I understand how you feel. God understands sufferings, too. I mean, he watched his own son die to save you and me. The Lord understands sufferings himself because he was hung on a cross. And yet he asked his father in the midst of it, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We will all have sufferings in our lives, whether that's walking through something for a season, a permanent... ...to be included in how you are feeling. You know, a friend of mine once posted a question to me. She said, Brittany, like, I don't understand why we have to pray to God. She's like, you know, he hears my thoughts anyway. So what is the whole point of that? 
And I encouraged her by telling her this. I said, you have kids, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, you know, as a mom or dad, you have parent intuition. You know when something is wrong with your child. And even if they don't come to you, you know something is bothering them. But how much more does it mean to you when they come to you and they say, Mom, Dad, I am struggling with X, Y, Z. God is the same way. He wants to hear about your sufferings. He wants to hear about what is bothering you. He wants to hear how your day is going. And even though he already knows, he gets to hear it from you. And that's what he yearns to hear. So I want to leave you with those five things to look at when you're suffering. As a recap, number one was be open about your feelings, both to yourself, God, and others. Remember, putting God first on that list, okay? Number two, petition on your behalf of yourself and ask others to petition for yourself as well, because prayer is powerful. Number three, be watchful for the Lord and have a group to confide in, because we all need others. God is always working. Jesus had disciples too, you know. Number four was stop the loop to control your thoughts and take captive and give them to God. This honestly might be your hardest of all of them, but over time this become really easy. And number five was serve. Put your eyes on others above yourself and allowing your needs to be second best to others. Guys, there's no special formula for overcoming obstacles. But one thing I do know, and that has been a consistent in my life, is this. God is good. He has never left me nor forsaken me. And even when I have rejected him in my past, he wants us to come to him. And the relationship is so simple, and yet we try to make it so complicated. Our good works aren't enough to get us right with God. It's not by our works, but our relationship with Christ. Do you have that relationship today? If you don't, I encourage you to stick around after this episode to hear a brief prayer of salvation so that you too can take the next steps in following Christ and having your life be forever changed. You are not alone. He loves you and I do too. Let's pray. Father, you tell us in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 to humble ourselves under your mighty name, Lord, that you will lift us up at the appointed time for honor if we will just give you all of our worries and cares because you care, Father. You want us to show you our hearts. You can see them, how much more they mean to you when we come to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just flood the individual listening to this with your presence. Allow them to feel you close. Allow them to be open and honest. Lay down their burdens and distractions and focus in on you. Allow them to seek you with their hurts and wants and needs. Allow them to rest in your presence. Father, I thank you for your day. I thank you for allowing me to be a vessel for your people. I pray pride is broken off and shame is lifted, Father. May they come to you with open hearts and hands and a renewing be unfolded. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Now I bet you're thinking... Can Jesus really change my life? Are the stories I'm hearing on this podcast real? And the answer is simple. (laughs) Yes. Jesus has changed my life and he can change yours too. 
Today, I want to walk you through a simple prayer of salvation. If you have never asked Jesus into your heart or not even sure if you had, friend, it's super simple. All you have to do is repeat after me or say this in your heart. He's listening. Father, thank you for today and everything you've blessed me with. Father, today I admit I am a sinner. For your word tells us that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Father, I believe in your son Jesus, that he died and rose three days later for me. Father, today I confess you as Lord and ask you to come into my heart and make me new. Father, I can't wait to do amazing things for you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friend, if you just said this prayer, I am so excited for you. Jesus now lives in your heart, and his word tells us that when he comes back, you get to go with him to heaven. Or, you know, if we do pass away, you get to join him in heaven one day. I'm so excited for you. If you have any questions or curious what to do next, please give us an email at jesusconversationpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to get you a Bible and get you plugged into the next steps. Hope you have a blessed day. I'm so excited for you.